To me, a good story is one with compelling characters. I can forgive a lot of plot problems if the people involved are interesting and engaging. It's a short story for a reason, so really the words and the language used need to be necessary and really give me the impression that the writer chose and knows exactly what they're doing with their descriptions and words. Welcome back to Here on the Hill, a podcast from Montgomery Bell Academy in Nashville, Tennessee. You may have already guessed from the opening remarks that this episode is going to focus on stories and storytelling. This semester, the junior school public speaking class studied different elements of effective story structure in preparation for writing and performing their own original short stories. In this episode, we'll share two of those tales read by their student authors. The first story is The Survival Test by Campbell, a student in MBA's class of 2026. One morning, a boy opened his eyes longing for the comfort of his homely room and a nice breakfast while watching his favorite TV series on an early morning. However, as he opened his eyes, he found himself in a forest that he had never quite seen before. The boy's name was Mark, and that was almost the only thing he could remember about himself, other than the fact that he had no interest in the outdoors. As he struggled to grab hold of a plant or a vine growing nearby, he could hear the chirping of birds and sounds of nature everywhere nearby. However, one thing caught his eye. In his peripheral vision, he could see a shadow moving about. However, once he got up, he could see that there was no one or no thing there. He, sm- he saw smoke rising in the distance and knew that it was his only way of help. As he neared the smoke, he saw the same shadowy figure moving in the, in the distance. If he followed it, he was nervous that he would lose sight of the rising smoke. Maybe someone there needed help, or maybe someone could help him. As the day passed by, Mark finally made his way to the smoke, only to realize that it was a plane torn to pieces by the fall it had taken from over 10,000 feet high. He could see that most of it was in flames, but the bottom part, or at least what was left of it, wasn't on fire. Mark got down on his knees and started to crawl through the wreckage of the unburnt plane bottom, where he could see someone. Hey, are you okay? he yelled to the passenger, but he didn't answer. Mark could see that the man, nor anyone else, had survived the crash. But then, what had that shadow been? He thought to himself. He could hear whispers from above the bottom of the plane. So he raided the luggage and found some clothes that were not torn up like the ones he was wearing. And he found some medical equipment that had belonged to a doctor. As he opened the last suitcase looking for a flashlight, he came across a rather familiar-looking suitcase. Mark opened it up to find some books, clothes, and an action figure. He grabbed two books, and something about the figure made him want to take it with him. Mark crawled out of the plane, eager to find whose voices had been, whose voices they had been. But what he saw was nothing close to what he had thought. A pack of hungry wolves had been approaching him from at least 20 feet away, charging at full speed directly towards him. Mark used pieces from a wreckage to patch up the bottom trap door, and when he put the bar of, uh, the last bar of scrap metal on the door, he could hear the wolves growling and trying to move the tons of scrap metal barricading the trapdoor. 
when you realized there was another way out. Several days had passed by, and the wolves could st- would still not break through the leave, or break through or leave the trapdoor. They must be really determined, thought Mark, as he used a, sp- a shovel to dig through the dirt. If I don't hurry up, I might starve to death down here. The bottom, of, the bottom of the plane was, of course, metal, but Mark had torn up the parts from it and barricade that he used to barricade the door. Somehow, a person packed a shovel, which Mark used to slowly but efficiently dig through the dirt. Months had passed before Mark had gotten out, and he saw that the wolves were still guarding the barricade, until he stepped on a twig, causing the wolves to hear him and charge after him until nightfall. Now that Mark was still out, he had to get working. He needed a shelter before the winter months, and sadly, he only had a shovel. He started using vines and tree branches to tie logs against leaning against a tree. It took him about two days of hard labor and nights sleeping in the rain. Mark had finished his teepee-like house and a rather comfy bed of leaves. Each night, he would dream of being chased by wolves or being locked up in a small metal prison filled with luggage of sorts. One night, he, dream of wa- he dreamed of waking up and getting to see a f- his family and a nice, cozy home and a good breakfast. Something he may never know about woke him up that night. He opened his eyes, tilted his head, and through the crack in the wood that he tied together, he could see three shadowy figures that looked to be big, to be too big to be an animal or a human. Their eyes were glowing bright red, and were staring at his tent. Then they had looked at each other. Then they just disappeared. Mark got up, grabbing his flashlight that he eventually found from the plane, and shined it through the crack in the wooden branches. But no one was there. The next morning, Mark went out to go hunt for food as he came across he came across a stream. All of a sudden, the stream turned to lava. A crack in the ground had opened up, and he was plunged straight through it. Cut, he heard a voice say. There's a bug in the code. We don't know what's going on. You'll have to come back tomorrow. All of a sudden, his VR goggles had gotten take, taken off of him, and two men guided him outside. What was going on, Mark thought. Where am I? Outside, he found his family and was reunited with them once again. Hurry up, Mark. Grab your luggage, because we've got a flight in an hour. That was Campbell's story, The Survival Test. Next up, we have another original story by Nico, another student in MBA's class of 2026. Nico's story is called the hit. My name is Anthony Perkovich. I'm a hitman and spy for the IHA, a secret organization that contains the best hitmen from around the world. I've just arrived in London for my next mission, which I have no information on at the moment. New message from, I, from the IHA, said Max, my virtual assistant. Hello, Agent Perkovich. I'm here to tell you about your next task, said Antonia Orft, the leader of the IHA. Your task is to assassinate the Queen within 14 days, and your reward will be $257 million after the job is done. I accept, I said, and I got to work planning one of the greatest assassinations in history. My plan was relatively simple. Disguise myself as a guard to get into the castle, then make my way to the Queen's room, then kill her and hide the body. I had to make sure that my timings were precise, so I watched the guards 
and the Queen's movement throughout the day in order to pull this off seamlessly. After watching for several days, I felt that I was ready. So I drove my car to an alley near the castle and set Max up as my getaway driver. I then made my way into the guard's break room where there was only a single break guard on break at this time, as I had observed. I killed him, took his, took his uniform, and hid the body in a laundry basket. After that, I waited for 15 minutes for the break to end. Then I walked into the castle without being suspicious. So far, my plan had been successful, and I was not at all suspicious. I walked up to the stairs and toward the queen's room, but another guard stopped me and said that, and said, you need higher clearance to go up here. And why aren't you at your post? A flaw in my plan. Why hadn't I thought of this? Of course a normal guard isn't allowed near the queen's room. I had to think fast to be able to succeed. Sorry, sir, it won't happen again, I said, and I pretended to walk away. But then I turned around shot the guard, and ran to catch his body before it fell down the stairs and alerted someone else. I walked up the stairs. After that, I walked, up, I walked up the stairs and went down the hallway and into the queen's room. I slowly opened the door so that she wouldn't be aware. I killed the queen and put the body back exactly as I had found it. Then... I calmly walked out back, back out to my car, where Max was waiting for me. When I got back to my hotel, I went to sleep. As soon as I woke up, I called Antonio. Antonio, it is done, I said. Then what is this? He said, and he proceeded to show me a clip from the news from this morning, where the Queen was saying how she was almost assassinated. That's impossible, I said. I killed her myself. Well, I don't know what to say, Anthony, but you have not con completed your assignment yet, and therefore you cannot get paid. I hung up after that. I was outraged. I just killed the queen last night. I asked Max, Max, who ordered the hit? I'm afraid I cannot tell you that, Ma answered Max. I started to come up with a theory. It was that the queen had hired me to kill her, but I had actually killed one of her body doubles. Why would she want to do this, you might ask? Because the queen has been very vocal about wanting to go to war, but the people of Britain do not. But the queen almost being assassinated, would outrage all of Britain, allowing the queen to have her way. My theory was proven because Max said, you are correct, Anthony. That was Nico's original story, The Hit. Thank you to both Nico and Campbell for sharing their work with us this week. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Here on the Hill from Montgomery Bell Academy. Go Big Red!